you have the time to listen to me grind. Take down the film watchers and nerds all at once. I am one of those skeptical of status quo. Lazy and to the bone, no doubt about it. Sometimes I grind my Excel sheets. Sometimes pour cold water on heat. When the math's not adding up, you said I'm checking out. I'm just Welcome to the ground. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Plus on Twitter, and what is this? Another Crossroads episode in the same week as another Crossroads... Two Crossroads episodes? Yeah, I know, um... So I'm having a weird week, you know? Um... And I just wanted to record another podcast, alright? Get off get off my back. Now, I had some more further thoughts on Rookie Value, because I really felt like the last podcast just kind of tailed off at the end, like I couldn't come to a... Nice rounded out conclusion. It's almost like I just openly try and be as honest and talk about my process and my thought process and what I've learned without like a hook or an angle. It's weird, I know. But um, so I wanted to conclude that. And then there was also a weird, I don't know, it, I don't know, it's kind of sappy. It's not really my, my, my line, my angle. So I don't know. We're going to do it. Here I am doing it, so let's do it. So, to round off, finally, <laughs> the episode we just had, or I just did, or whatever the conjugation is for that. Um, so, I was talking online on Twitter with various people about different things, and I ended up having or posting this thought, which is basically the summation of everything I said about James Robinson last week. Um, last week, last episode. Still the same week, Pete. Get it together. Uh, to be fair, if you drafted James Robinson, trading him away right now is a dynasty win, no matter what. Trading him would be both smart and stupid. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. That's basically what I was trying to get out about James Robinson right now. I understand why no one would want to change James Robinson right now, because I too think he's going to be good in 2021. Really good. And he's a—he's the type of production running back we search for, so why would you trade him away? But the thing is, if you have James Robinson on your roster right now, you're going to get back a lot more value than you definitely had to pay for him. And I mean substantial value. Value enough that it's actually a mistake not to trade him. Like, even if you just get a first-round pick, you don't trade a third or a fourth or even a second or whatever you pay for James Robinson for a first straight up every day. In fact, you never do, do you? Admit it. You never do. And I know what you're thinking already right now. That's sunk cost fallacy, man. I don't have a third or a fourth or a second. I have James Robinson, and he's worth more. Yes, which means you actually get more than a first-round pick. But... That's the back and forth of dynasty value and production. And I get it. I'm normally selling production when I talk about dynasty theory in general. Go go try to win. Winning's what is the point. But there is a point at which value is important, right? I mean, we're trying to buy wins with that value, but we have to accrue value to sell it. And I tell you what's highlighting this for me this year looking at my rosters. Now I'm playing with a lot of good players like you guys normally are obviously are as well. 
to be honest. If you're in good leagues, you've got good players facing you. So the the sell and buy market, as touted on Twitter or most podcasts, honestly, is fake. And that's the other part I was getting to last week because they know too, right? You might find you are lucky enough in one or your main league or however many you got that the James Robinson owner is more concerned with draft capital than I think or you think you should be or they should be. And therefore, you'll get a deal done. Or even him at a decent value, like just for a first-round pick, would be an incredible value for James Robinson right now. Like, just in case that isn't clear, because I know there's a mixture of what people think listening to the show, or however many four of you there are, you all might have a different idea. So it'll be very clear, just like drawing a line in the sand here. If you can get James Robinson for any pick in the first round, 101 to 112, that is an incredible value. And yeah, Superflex requires some moderation because there you're talking about some quarterbacks, and even bad quarterbacks are probably worth a good running back if you think they have more upside. Maybe, but remember that we don't really know if Herbert, uh, um, Fields, Lawrence, maybe Mac, and someone else who's bound to jump into the conversation eventually. We don't know if they're Mitch Trubisky yet. We don't know if they're Andrew Luck yet. We don't know if they're Aaron Rodgers yet. And really, it's going to take you three years to find out. Or maybe they're Justin Herbert, right? But that's the extreme upside. And we always look at rookies thinking of this extreme upside. And we encourage you to think of the average here. Is is a top 12 running back in Superflex worth Derek Carr? Maybe, maybe not. But it's a lot more even than when you think of Fields and Lawrence versus James Robinson. So even then, I would consider that trade. Crazy, right? But that's about where my line meridian here is. If, if I've got a first-round pick, and I can get James Robinson with it, I think that's, yeah, that's probably on leaning the James Robinson side. And if you're uncomfortable with his draft capital so much, more than I am, then consider Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin Cook, because those are the people, those are the running backs his production compares to. Yeah, you didn't. You weren't thinking of him like that, and you shouldn't, because there's a value difference in the market, and he's an undrafted free agent, and it's Jacksonville. I get it. But I think primarily about production and career patterns. And that's where he is for me. Well, not for me. Actually, that's where he is right now. Just Jonathan Taylor, who I think is that, has not yet done it. Neither Swift, neither's Cam Akers, neither's J.K. Dobbins, neither's all those running backs you would have considered with a top three pick in last year's class, and probably still would consider, despite the fact that 2020 is one of the hardest-hitting classes we've literally ever seen. And we would still consider those running backs in the top three, top five, and they, knowing that they will not do it except for a few games towards the end of the season, year one. James Robinson did it the entire season. Yes, he's in that conversation for me, but also just he is, okay? He is. But I didn't mean this to be as large a part of the podcast as it is so far, so I'm moving on. His value line isn't really the point. To accrue value, you sell, you sell that much of a differential every time. If you can trade a third-round pick or a second-round pick for a first-round pick straight up, you do that every time because accruing value is 
actually difficult. I don't spend a lot of time talking about it because we mostly talk about how how we find production. Or I mostly find my spend my time looking for production, and it's hard for me to switch the other way. But and here's the thing that brought it up for me: looking at my teams, I've been trying to trade for running backs, get better at targeting running backs, like I've been talking about. But my teams all don't suck. That wasn't a self-compliment. That's the worst place to be in. Looking across my leagues, my favorite roster is one in a salary cap league. And I don't know what I'm doing, John Bosch. Let me out of this hell. Anyway, so that was a personal message for John Bosch on Twitter. Because um, I don't know why that team isn't stomping. I, I really don't understand salary cap leagues. But anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm in the middle. I, I When I try to honestly assess my rosters, like... Not enough of the bets I made when I drafted the teams in the ones that I drafted them have paid off. Honest assessment, I've found myself in the middle. It's a decent time. It has upside. It has some good players, mostly at wide receiver. And it's not... It's in the middle. That's where my... Maybe even towards the bottom of the middle, to be honest, with some of them. Which is an awkward position to be in and the worst position to be in. So you need to go up or you need to go down. And I've been trying to go up. And despite this being the part of the offseason where you sell rookie picks, um, everyone's trying to buy them. <laughs> right? Because sometimes the value markets aren't real. So I want to buy rookie picks because I need to go cry extreme upside to launch my team into the upper tier. But I can't buy them because even though this is a buy window or the beginnings of the buy window actually at the sell window sorry actually everyone's trying to buy them because we lie to ourselves a lot and that value is hard to pay when it comes to rubber meeting road I, just honestly none of us go as hard in the paint as we like to say in theory it's hard for me to pay for the cost for james robinson when i think he's going to be undervalued at some point below where my value line has him and it's hard for me to pay for a first earlier first round pick right now because I don't want to pay that value and it's also that switch to thinking about value is difficult for me I just want to push for points but this is the worst point in the year to try to do that despite the fact this is meant to be the sell window for productive players and rookie picks no one wants to that's what I was saying with James Robinson those with James Robinson that is a clear dynasty win you should take 100% of the time but we won't and it's both smart and stupid because I don't think you should sell James Robinson either. I think you're right. But value-wise, it's a clear win and you don't get many gimmies in a good league. You don't get clearly, even if James Robinson has three top 24, 12 seasons from here on out, you know, besting everyone but Le'Veon Bell, that's what that would be, besting everyone but Le'Veon Bell if he has another two good years in him. That's just two years. Le'Veon Bell's a guy. That's it, really. I'd have to go check my examples, but I really think it's only Le'Veon Bell that's had three or more. Anyway, even if he does that, if you sell for a two first-round pick value right now, oh, it will feel crappy while he's doing it, but you've got two first-round picks of value basically for free. So it's really what you do with that value which is going to make it a bad or a worse trade. And you could just keep trading that forward. Put it another way. Terrence Marshall. This year's draft, right? I don't want Terrence Marshall. I don't like him. But there's enough rookie film buzz out there that says he may be better than I think he is, right? 
So, I don't want to draft Terrence Marshall. Wherever his value is going to be, I don't want him. But, say I want a hedge. Say I want some Terrence Marshall exposure, which is not how I play, but let's let's play the exercise out. I want to trade down to get Terrence Marshall. And the only way I'm getting him is if I get him below where my pick is. Like, if I have 107, 108, I want to trade to the back of the first round. Maybe take him a little early to make sure I get that exposure, but definitely not where his value is because I don't believe in him. So what I do is I trade my pick back for a third, whatever. Cheap as hell. I'll trade back to the 708 for a third, and then the 709 for a third, and then the 710 for a third, and oh look, Terrence Marshall might be taken soon. Maybe this is fictional ADP, so I take Terrence Marshall. So what I've done, because I don't really like Terrence Marshall... I didn't like the pick at where I was from the player that I wanted to get. It's got Terrence Marshall and three-thirds. Fictional, I know, and this is also how we don't go hard in the paint. It's actually pretty hard to trade back or up, even when you're just giving it away for a third. People are like, oh no, I think my guy's going to fall to me. I want to pay a third, even though thirds don't matter. But that's, again, not the exercise right here. So I don't just want Terrence Marshall. I want Terrence Marshall and something to insulate that value, because I don't believe in the player, I don't believe in the pick, I want to insulate him. And that's pretty much the way rookie draft should work. You should always never pick at your pick. Ideal dynasty theory, I think, is that you always trade up to ride or die and get the player you think is the guy, or you trade back to gain value and insulate the pick that you do eventually have to take, And also you're picking up value to push in the future, so you're still adding to your team. It's not a clear win. It's not a clear definite win, like like trading a player that's exponentially grown in value from a nothing pick. That's always a clear win, like I said. But you're trying to add some value by trading back, or you're trying to ride or die with a player up front, because you know, in your heart of hearts, that's the hit. Because... Rookies are terrible bets, and they're terrible value, unless they hit, and then they're the best thing that can happen to your squad ever, 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 especially if it's a wide receiver, to be honest, or James Robinson, if he had draft capital, for that matter, I take that back, a running back hit in year one is probably the best thing you can get, all right, if he hits hard, like I say, Gwen Barkley, like James Robinson did, anyway, um, So that's what we should always be doing. But how often do you think we're actually able to trade back until we get something extra and then we take a player that, you know, we're interested in trade that we're interested in taking back for? That's not just JJ Osega Whiteside fell to me and so I got him at good value. Good value, if it's a value pick, is you traded back and took that player. Because you need to add value because that player can miss. That's why you trade back. So you're actually never meant to trade, take your pick. If you pick at the pick you are given or have at the start of rookie season, essentially you've just made a straight-up bet that's an upside play and it's a bad value pick. Because taking a player at his draft cost or just at your regular pick is, you know, the equivalent of making an upside play by trading up. So you may as well spend value to trade up for the player you want if you're going to do that because that's fun, and also, hopefully, if we have a good process, that's where you get the better odds of actually doing that, or you trade back to gain value. It's never static. And yet, again, how often do you think, how hard in the paint do you think 
all 12 people in the league are going to make sure they have traded up or traded. It's an impossibility, right? Only six players can actually achieve one or the other, and the other six have to take that cost. And so in a pure dynasty theory, doesn't bear out in reality if everyone's going as hard in the paint and actually a good player every time. So quite often you just end up making your pick. I don't know if I've lost you at this point, so I'm going to back up. Essentially what I'm saying is the value market is antithetical to... It doesn't exist in actual reality, but we try our best to actually exercise it. So when you have a clear win, it's not just a clear win in terms of, you know, that's added value. It's also a clear win in a landscape that we really can't play out perfectly in reality. And you get value and hopefully a player back so you can get points. You do that every time. I wouldn't, but you do. It's both smart and stupid. I think I've got through this point. So... The other way of accruing value, or the one I'm trying to work out for myself, because my teams are middling to below middling, in all honesty, the ones I'm looking at right now are anyway. I can't add running backs because people want too much for them, because they want to win too, and they're also good at this game. I can't trade for picks because I have to pay too much to go up, and I don't know the ADP right now. I don't know where I have to go to get those guys I would put in that. That's the better bet. I'm actually going to bit trade up for and trading back is difficult right now because not despite value this being the sell window not many people want to do it that's why i'm always pushing production because it's still a marginal edge in most leagues most people don't want to trade for points they want to trade for value they want to trade for their rookies they want to trade for the shiny things so that's actually tends to be the easier path but there are still edges Odell Beckham right now, as John Bosch just said, and I was recently talking on several different podcasts, he's come up several times and I keep forgetting to mention him on the podcast. It is, and I'd have to run the numbers, and in fact you should, because this is just a statement out of context since I haven't, good point, but you should. I think it's as unlikely that Odell Beckham comes back from the dead, as it were, as a rookie hitting. I think those odds will be pretty close. I know it's happened. A player has had a suspension in his productive, epic career and then come back again. It happens. But I think if we measure the rate of that happening, and it's much more likely to happen for a player that has been productive up till now than a player has not. That's why we buy productive players. But... Rookie upside versus Odell Beckham upside, I get it. I think it's almost a no-odds bet. But he's trading for a late first, which essentially means you should try to get him for a second, high second, or on a third maybe if you don't have a high second. And that's a way of going for value because you're getting the equivalent of a rookie with no proven ability in the NFL, even if you're... If Odo Beckham's not your guy, that's fine because you think he's lost fast twitch muscle fiber or whatever. Find another guy. Julio Jones is another person I've seen people mention in this conversation. So you're trading essentially back by trading for a rookie with second round with your second round pick instead of just betting you're going to get the Antonio Gibson of this year, which I actually think makes it a better bet, even if the odds of it hitting are no odds. Because you don't have to take that roulette reel and you don't suffer from the dynasty shiny happy thing or wait three years to find out if it worked out, which at which point Corey Davis didn't pay off. Uh, this is the only time I'm admitting it, but there you go. 
Like if if Nikhil Harry hits right now, or in 2021, he didn't pay off because you either have to bleed the value for two years, or you've lost him and then he hits and then you've lost twice. Like early hits aren't just the thing; they're all of it. They're both where the value actually lies. The the, the rookies who actually get increasing in value, like Nikhil Harry hits in 2021, his value is not going to increase as much as Justin Jefferson's did. And if Baker Mayfield continues his actually above age average production, weird, weird little stat for you there, um, in the NFL, he will still not be as worth as much as Justin Jefferson, not Justin Jefferson, um, Patrick Mahomes and uh, Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert, Herbert, um, is right now because we all know to target those early breakouts because they tend to have better, uh, better careers and higher, higher marks for that matter. In those years where they're useful. Not always. Again, there's a bias towards draft capital like draft Dak Prescott, which is also why he's a value. Anyway, I think I'm wandering off the point here. But those are the types of moves I'm starting to think I'm going to have to try and make with middling teams. I'm going to have to do that, but in a unique way, because no one wants to sell you their pick. It costs too much to move up at this part of the offseason at least, and it's only going to probably get more expensive. Um, and no one wants to sell you their running backs. And running backs are a bad buy this time of year. I was trying it, hoping people would therefore be more inclined to sell them because that's good dynasty theory. You don't buy running backs right now. Come on. It's not the time. So uh, I was hoping to find an edge there. And, and so far, no good luck. So instead, I'm starting to think of veterans I can get with second round picks or first that I can trade back for veterans plus something and therefore I'm adding value plus a bet on getting production out of it as well. And it's nasty, and it's horrible, and it's not shiny, happy, and new, and exciting, but that might be the road I have to go down with my middling teams. And if you've got a middling team, you know it, even if you don't want to admit it to yourself, because I never do. But it might be a, a thought worth inserting, and I think that's rounding out my argument on value and how it's fake or fictional, in most cases, in actual play. Um, in our leagues from uh, the last episode. So, yeah, there's that. Um, hopefully that feels like a better conclusion to it. I feel good about it. The other thing, and the reason that I actually wanted to record another podcast this week, is because I have had a, a bad week. And now, don't get me wrong, it's not Texas bad. And there's always someone worse off than me because I actually have it pretty sweet. I mean, I'm recording a podcast. How tough is my life, really? But relatively i have been stressed and i've just had a bad week all right i don't i, I don't do this stuff i, I don't want to talk about me but it, it's actually talking about you and so that's why i wanted to record it um just quickly and not to say this is the worst thing that ever happens to i mean whatever this is just a small old problems happening in my life but as long as, as well as a few of the things i've got mounting and building and i'm having trouble with right now and it's been a stressful year for everyone, and it's been a very, yeah, it's been bad. But, um, anyway, in our little corner of our little corner of Kentucky, um, we've had flooding, like major, you know, 100-year flooding. And we've actually had this once before, which is starting to make me think it's me, like we've had two 100-year floods in the time I've owned this house, so that's fun. Either way... Our house is good, it's solid, um, I, I really like our house, but there's one particular wall that runs the length of the front of the house, and there's a point to this story, I promise. 
um, where when we get flooding levels bad enough, they've literally declared a disaster and roads are closed off around the county and it's, it's bad. Not Texas bad, but bad. And we live on a little hill, to be fair. Peninsula, actually. In that there's actually water that surrounds our house, even though you can't see it from all angles. That's the definition of peninsula. It's surrounded by two bodies of water. But anyway. Anyway, and that wall kind of seeps. It doesn't leak. I don't have holes anywhere. Our roof is good. But it seeps up from the basement floor. I can't quite find it because it's behind drywall, which is kind of the problem because our basement is finished. It's where I have this office where I'm talking to you from and I record my videos. It's where Sam has, my son, has his room. We also have a couple of storage rooms down here, a room that used to be a bedroom. But we wanted our daughter upstairs and so she moved, especially after the last water incident. And anyway, that's, that's that's roughly our basement. And so when water gets into the basement, it's actually kind of a problem because there's a finished aspect to it. It's like half the value of a house. Um, so it's a problem. And it happened at like 4 a.m. where I found there was water at my feet, basically. Um, and so me and my son, and I'll admit, we've been in COVID times. And also, we're not the most, uh, you know, perfect family or whatever. We, I like us, but um, there are boxes everywhere from Christmas and things I've been meaning to get to and projects we've been meaning to tidy up. But the thing is, when you're trying to evacuate water from a, a finished room like that, two finished rooms at the front of the basement, essentially I was trying to tidy and declutter and desperately catch up with the water because we have one shop vac. <laughs> it's stressful as hell, guys. Uh, I mean, I get it. You probably have bigger problems in your life right now, but it's it's one of the most stressful things that's ever happened to me, and now it's happening again. It's the early hours in the morning, and I was just finished recording a podcast with you guys where I was talking about how happy I was listening to the rain, and it just, it wasn't fun. Um, but me and my son got it fought back enough, um, much to his dismay, because, you know, it was 4 a.m., he wasn't meant to be up. And uh, he's old enough now I can boss him around <laughs> to actually do things, weirdly. And um, with the state of our lives right now. Anyway, we got it fought back, but it's still coming in because we're having this these once-in-a-generation floods for the second time. Um, and so basically we had to man the wall, right? And we have to go in there and vacuum it up. Uh, regularly and uh, keep threatening to get out and all the time I'm thinking of all the damage and the potential mold it's doing to that side of the wall and everything else it's touched because all that is still wet we've got it up but things are still damp and we've got boxes everywhere and I've had to throw stuff out the back door and it's raining and we've just went through an ice storm and so that's fun and the neighbor's dogs tried kept coming in through our back door because they love our dogs and oh I've gone on too much about this but basically we stayed up all night took it in shifts I took a nap and, and just let my son handle it for a little while, then he woke me up, and I did it, and I had work the next day, and I had to call in sick, and it was, well, not call in sick, I called in and said, I'm underwater, I'm not able to come in, and uh, I threw my back out, and uh, lots of stuff. But, here's the thing. Once we had it settled down enough, we were just routinely going in there and getting up water, which, again, was stressful, but... I was listening to, <laughs> I was actually listening to uh, John Michael, uh, J. Mike Check, and Zach Reed of the Dynasty Dummies break down wide receivers in between because uh, the shop vac was too loud to listen. But it was such a calming 
experience. It was listening to my two friends talk a little nonsense, have a little fun with each other, and it took me from a level of stress that was almost unmanageable. I know, I know, I'm such a weakling that that pushed me there, but it did. And to where I was able to deal with my day again, or my morning, or my early hours in the night, to go do it some more, and then clean up, and then tidy up, and try and get some of those chores I've been putting off done, because now everything's soaked, and it needs to be done, and then I'd have to go away and take a break, and wait for it to man up again, and uh, on no sleep at this point, and uh, someone on Twitter asked me a question about height-adjusted speed score, that I'd asked before, I'd given them the formula, but they hadn't been able to uh, get it to work, and I I was just in no mood, you know, but I was like, but I read, and I always try and respond. I was like, and I gave him the formulas again and a written explanation. He was like, "That's still not working." It's like I tell you what, let me grab some data here. And so I grabbed some names and some times and some heights and some, and I put the formula in a Google Doc and I sent him to him. I was like, "I'm in here right now, quick. I'm in the middle of something, but get in here." And by obviously, since I'm talking to another human being, this is by now in the day, and I haven't slept for. 18 hours or so, which isn't the furthest I've gone, to be fair, but I mean, I wasn't my best, um, and uh, he got in the spreadsheet with me, and I was kind of plugging away numbers, showing why errors can turn up, and I was telling him that you have to convert weights or heights to the right numbers, and here's a conversion thing, and eventually it just clicked, I was like, I got it, I figured it out, and I was like, great, but here's the thing, I had been back up to unmanageable stress and frustration, and was immediately happy. Not happy happy, because I was still in the middle of something, but I was actually happy, and I'd forgotten about it while I was helping him out with it. And I couldn't be more grateful to him that he'd reached out to ask me something that we enjoyed, was a little bit of nonsense, and it honestly improved my my sense of calm or my well-being like immeasurably at a time when I needed it. And then it all goes on, and... Like I said, we're still fighting it back, like, right now. <laughs> uh, we're in the middle of this. But, and my back didn't go out, but it's close. I was like, I need to take my mind off it again. And I, helping that guy helped out. So I was like, I'm going to record a video. Okay, I'm just going to record a video. I guess I'm going to do a little fantasy football nonsense. It helped me out a, a little while ago. And so in the last video I produced, I'm there. And I look terrible. And I think you can even see the back brace I found to strap on. And I, I did the damn video, and I got it uploaded. And a little while later, I got a comment. Just some person that, gratefully, I'm grateful to them, checked out my video and left me a comment because I tried something new because someone else had mentioned maybe I should do this spreadsheet live instead of recording it and then talking about it. So I did that, and he left me a little message saying, hey, I like the live spreadsheet. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Keep going. Nothing. No nothing. You know, doesn't seem like much. But again, the same thing happened. I went from unmanageably stressed and unhappy to, huh, that was nice. Actually, I'm I'm good. I can deal with my day. And the same thing kept happening throughout this time period. Like, whether it was a little tick on a video or someone asking me a question because they would allow me to help them out with something. Just a little nonsense, fun stuff. We're playing with fantasy football. And it literally made my life better. As, in as real fashion as I can say from not good to good just because of our little fantasy community nonsense and they weren't sending me money and they weren't 
sending me prayers or thoughts or anything to help the situation, but just that I had a group of people that were engaging, engaged, fun, happy, enjoyed a little nonsense with fantasy football like I did, or getting to talk to, you probably have podcasts like this for yourselves, and maybe they're not all fantasy football, but familiar voices in a turbulent time with J. Mike Check, and then I listened to the Tale of Two Rivals podcast, and it was the same thing, just when stress happens, when you can turn on what feel like old friends, just to talk calmly for a little while about some little something that's interesting to you guys and no one else. And I'd never felt it so vividly, how how much of an effect that had on me. So, sappy and stupid, and I'm sorry I brought it up, but I want to let you guys know. You know, I don't, I try not to, I have sponsors, because no one wants to sponsor me, really. And I don't ask. And I don't ask you to leave reviews very often. I occasionally ask you to check out content, because I think you might like it. And that's not because those are bad things to do. It's just, it's not why I'm here. But I wanted to let you know the little bits that you do, whether you're listening to something or you're asking a question or you're leaving a comment on a YouTube video, they they have, a, like, I'm really grateful for them. And not in that throwaway, whatever, we're all grateful for other people because, you know, we're, we're people fans. But, and obviously we're not always in an incredibly stressful situation and this is what helps you manage your mood to get through it. But it's kind of that all the time for me. I'm not bragging or stunting or saying I grind harder, but I really do spend my life thinking of new things to do, making new content. And it's not really paying off on the whole supporting the family thing, but I don't actually, I wanted to do that one day. Who wouldn't? But it's that stuff on a smaller scale. (laughs) The interactions, the occasional questions, the jokes the familiar voices on a podcast, many of whom I've never actually gotten to meet or talk to. Being part of this community improves my life in a real way. And with all my shame in asking you to like and subscribe, or here's a... I think sometimes I have not done the other part of that, which is point out how grateful I am for those interactions. Because normally it's said in tandem, we really appreciate and like and subscribe and leave a review. And so by being too squeamish, not that it's a bad thing, it's a thing you it's a have to do. It's not it's not a decision, it's a have to do thing. Especially if you want this to be not just wasting time away away from your family, if you want some level of not payback but return on the time and investment, then I'm not complaining to anyone that does it. I just suck at business, okay? But by not doing that I forget to do the other thing. Eh, occasionally. Maybe. I know. That's what I was thinking about today and why I wanted to record another episode. To let you know that it makes a measurable difference to my life. Whether you're listening to this or you drop a like or you subscribe to some silly thing or you read an article and disagree with me or you tell me my take sucks on Twitter or whatever it is, whether you're just listening or whether you're actually interacting... It's a for real difference, not just a thing that we say. I love being part of the community. We really appreciate no, a for real makes my life better kind of thing. And since I never do it, I thought I'd do it in an extreme fashion right here, right now, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what the thinking is here. But I really appreciate you all. Like, 
people I talk to on Twitter, anyone listening to this, even if we never get to speak or you never let me help you out with a question or a problem that you're having or whatever, you make a for real difference to me. And I'm really grateful for it. So thank you. Uh, thanks for listening, liking, subscribing, whatever it is you have or have never done. From range of my voice, that's nearly that's that that's part of it. And uh, yeah, I want to say thank you. Um, I guess there's a lesson to learn from you know I was having trouble and you know I I I made things better by actually helping someone else instead. But that seems more like a point. Someone like J. Mike Check. I'm not the guy to figure out that. I don't know if that's... There's, there's probably a lesson there. But I don't care about it. I care about me. It's the only thing I care about, obviously. And this helps me, and I'm grateful for that. <laughs> and I'm grateful for you guys for making it possible. So, yeah. I guess there's a way too long 10-minute thank you. But um, I needed to say it. So, yeah. There you go. Thanks for listening. I'll ta- talk to you again next week. When there will be none of this and never any of this again, please. I don't like feelings. My fifis don't matter. I don't care about my fifis. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that you know that I appreciated yours, I guess. Um, so thanks. And thanks for J. Mike Check, who also being on that podcast also wrote out a long DM to me telling me how great I was to try and make me feel better. And honestly, J. Mike, stop being such a nice guy. Just you talking on a podcast was more than enough to make me happy. You... you Stop making me feel bad for being not as nice as you. Okay, really, flex. Um, but I appreciate that, dude. Really. Um, so yeah, thanks. I'm out of here. Talk to you next week. Uh, back to your regular schedule programming. I guess. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.